Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we're in week 2 of our Image Bears series. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. And this morning's passage probably can be found near the beginning, probably page 2. All right. Uh, we're going to do, I have to say, a few words. I want to save most of what I'm going to say until the celebration, but uh, it's only appropriate that um, just acknowledge the, the, the gravity of this moment. Um, so grateful for you, Chuck, Lindy. Um, the labor that you have invested here, the, the scripture that popped in my mind as soon as I woke up, this morning was 1 Corinthians 4. It says, you have countless guides in Christ, but not many fathers. And uh, what a privilege that we have as a church to have a father like Chuck Geschwind. Fathers lay foundations, and every experience of grace in this church finds a direct link from the faithfulness that you guys share as a couple. And so I'm so excited uh, for you to get to benefit from the, all the love that all the people have for you today. So um, please know that you're near and dear to my heart, and I can't wait. We're going to party. So we hope everyone will stay, and it'll be a lot of fun. All right, Genesis chapter 2. It's probably just the season of life that I'm in, but um, if most of the wisdom that I've acquired in life either comes from obscure reading or cartoons. And so uh, <laughs> my wife, uh, my daughter Hannah and I were talking about this movie Zootopia this week, and I thought it would be an appropriate backdrop for Genesis chapter 2. So watch this clip with me. Then it counts. Wait. They're all slots? What? Hang in there. Can I do? Well, I was hoping you could run a play for you. Well, I was hoping you could today. <laughs> well, I was hoping you could run a play for us. We are in a really big hurry. Sure. What's the plate? Two nine T number. <laughs> Two nine T H D zero three. Two, nine, THD03. T, HD03. H, D03. D, mm-hmm. zero, three. Zero. Three. Hey, Flash, want to hear a joke? No! We've got to beat the rush hour in. It's night. Hitting the clock and every minute counts. Oh, we can watch it. Yeah. Um, that is not a subtle jab at the DMV, which actually here locally is outstanding. Um, but if you have ever been like that little bunny cop, right, and you have wanted to do a good job and you showed up with your trying to put your best foot forward, and then 
Um, the problem is that you run into other people. This morning we're going to talk about the topic of work and what does it mean for us as image bearers of God to be able to work in such a way that we paint a picture with our lives with uh, just the way that we work. Work can be difficult, it can be mundane in certain seasons, it can be all-consuming in other kinds of seasons, Um, but the truth be told, it is the single greatest thing that takes up our time while we are on this planet. And uh, a recent Gallup poll says that 70% of Americans are actively disengaged from their work, right? It doesn't mean that they don't like their work. It just means that they are taking up air and collecting a paycheck, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced that in the workplace, right? So there is a real opportunity for us as the people of God to begin to model something completely different, right? We want to be able to paint something different with our lives, and to do that, we have to begin to ask the questions of, what is the purpose of work? Why did God create work? And we're, to be able to do that, we're going to have to look back to the beginning of the story at Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to see God's intention for work. Now, This is not going to be pie in the sky, right? This isn't just some kind of idealism. But my prayer has been that there would be real hope for people that are discouraged. That there would be real envisioning for people that feel stuck. That there would be real mercy that would be extended through Genesis chapter 2. And so, if you have your Bibles open, let's read. I'm going to read verses 7 through 15. You can stand with me if you're able. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from... Hold on. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers, The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, so much now we want to encounter you in a real way. I pray that you would help us to connect with your word. I pray that you would open our eyes to see why we are on the planet. I pray 
that we would be actively engaged in the work that you have given us to do in such a way that we are able to image you. Father, we readily acknowledge how difficult this is. We readily acknowledge how meaningless this can see at certain times. And I pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, that you would open our eyes and that you would do real work in our hearts so that you are made known through our lives. Father, we believe that you can do more than we can ask or imagine or even think for the sake of Jesus. So I pray that you do that among these people that I love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So there's a couple of big ideas that I want us to be able to get our heads around this morning. And the first is we want everyone in this room to be able to have a theology of work. Why does work matter? Why is it important? We want everyone to be able to find the story of their lives and the story of their work lives underneath the story of God. This is a very important part of what it means to be made in the image of God. It's a very important way that God has made us to reflect him to the world. So we want to find ourselves in God's story. And ultimately what everybody in this room needs to come to grips with is that God has designed work so that we can tell his story, right? It's not some meaningless endeavor that we undergo each and every day, but it's something that God has given us as an avenue to display who he is. And that doesn't matter if you are a doctor or a lawyer or a school teacher or a student or a stay-at-home mom. This theology of work is big enough to encompass all of life, that God has a divine intention in the way that he has gifted you and wired you in the situations that he's placed you in, and it's all so that you can show the world his beauty and his glory. God placed man, Adam, in the garden called Eden. Eden in Hebrew is a word that means delight, right? So God placed mankind in this lush garden, right, where there's beautiful trees and fruits and rivers and gold and precious stones. All of this is a place that helps us to see and understand the character of God, that he is a generous God that pours out his goodness on his people. And part of that goodness is vocation. Part of that goodness is work. Most of us think that work is somehow a product of the fall. But what we read before sin ever entered into the world, that work was part of God's plan to pour out his goodness on the world. And listen to this. This is a primary way that God will pour out his goodness on our lives, right? God has designed work so that we can find delight in him and show the world just exactly what he is like. Part of the goodness that we read about, we can see in Genesis 2.15. Look at it with me. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So this brings us to our first point this morning. Work is essential to flourishing as image bearers. Work is essential to flourishing as image bearers. 
Part of the reason that Genesis chapter 2 is in the Bible is so that you see the beauty and the nobility and the purpose in the work that God has created you to do, right? So many of us, if we're honest, it seems pointless at times, it seems meaningless at times, but what God wants to do is to give us a bigger picture of what He's doing on the planet so that our lives are synced up with His purposes, See, God placed Adam and Eve inside of this garden and he gave them all kinds of raw materials to work with. And his um, goal in giving them the garden was to tend it and to work it and to keep it. It was to make something out of the raw materials that he had given them. Now, it's interesting, if you look at the whole story of God, we looked at this last week, we see creation, where God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in this garden. And then you see the fall in Genesis chapter 3, where sin enters into the story, and redemption, where Jesus comes and begins to restore everything. And finally, we're going to end up in the the new heavens and the new earth. And so in Genesis chapter 2, you see these trees that are growing in the middle of the garden, and at the end of the story, you see the same trees that are in the city that's the new Jerusalem. And so all about God's story is about making something of this world that he has entrusted to us. We are stewards. We are partners with God to see his glory come on this earth. Listen to this quote by John Mark Comer. It's from an excellent book called Garden City, and it has absolutely revolutionized the way that I think about work. It's revolutionized the way that I think about rest. And I think it's going to help us get our minds around what God has actually called us to do. He says, The garden was dynamic and not static. To put another way, creation was a project, not a product. The garden was designed to go somewhere. God's vision was for the was, was for the order and artistry and the beauty of Eden to spread out over the whole earth, and humans were the ones entrusted with that job to fill the earth with the garden's reality. So part of God's plan for us to flourish is to make something of the world. He's entrusted a specific part of creation to each of us. He has invested us with his image. He's given us gifts and skills and talents and placed us in certain places so that we can flourish and so that the world can come to know him. Now, work is an essential part of being made in God's image, right? We work because God works, right? God is a worker. God is a creator. God is a designer. God is an architect. God is all of these things. And so we have the privilege of imaging him. Now, in the ancient Near East where the book of Genesis was written, this was not the only creation account, right? So I want to read you a part of an ancient Babylonian text. And this is how people were viewed. And this is ultimately about their view of work. This ancient Babylonian text comes from the god Marduk. He says, I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods so that they might be at ease. So the book of Genesis is something radically different. All of the other creation accounts that were going around the ancient Near East was a story about the gods who were overworked and they were tired. 
They didn't have anything left, so they created man to do their dirty work. Compare that to what's portrayed in Genesis chapter 2. That mankind is made in the image of God. That out of the goodness and his generosity, he creates a world that is lavish and beautiful and exciting. And he makes man in his image and invites him to join in the story. Those are two different worldviews. But most of the time, we tend to think that work is just a product of the fall. So the significance of work is not primarily found in what you do, right? That's how we tend to view it as Americans, that there are certain jobs that are over here that are in this category, and they are significant, and then there's some jobs over here that are less significant, right? And we tend to uh, assign salaries according to what we consider significant or insignificant, right? But in the economy of God, there is no such thing as an insignificant job. What gives work significance is God, Right? What gives work significance is the fact that we've been made in the image of God. And that helps us. And that begins to free us from trying to find our significance in what we do. Instead of finding our significance in who we are and who we were created to be. That's the purpose of Genesis chapter 2. That you would see your significance as an image bearer. And not try to find your significance in what you do. When we get this right, it frees us to be who God has created us to be. But when we get this wrong, we pray, we fall prey to all kinds of sin and idolatry and exhaustion. Right? We've all been there. Where work becomes our identity. When we do well, like we're excited. When we do poorly, like we're distraught. That leaves us vulnerable to overworking so that we can prove ourselves to our boss, right? Instead of seeing ourselves primarily as image bearers made in the image of God that, who are supposed to work and supposed to rest, we overwork to compensate. We make work the ultimate, you know? We want to work to prove ourselves. I mean, every television show I watched as a kid like communicated this message that career was the most important thing that you could do. Right? And that you had to prove yourself in the marketplace. Well, what Genesis chapter 2 is teaching us is that you don't have to prove yourself because you are made in the image of God. When we forget this, work just becomes a means to an end, right? It just becomes about picking up a paycheck. It becomes about enduring 40 to 60 hours per week, depending on your job, so that you can actually do the stuff that you want to do. And when we live life like that, It's not only that we're vulnerable to overwork, but it's that we're vulnerable to undernourishment in our souls. Because we're disconnected from God most of the time. So God's design in Genesis chapter 2 is that we see that work is a good thing. It's why God has created us and it's a way that he displays his goodness and his grace to us. Right? I'm not saying that it's easy, but I am saying that it is designed by God so that we would know God and we could make him known. So listen, we all buy into these lies over and over again, right? And and honestly, I mean, people believe that technology would help Americans work less, right? But what they didn't factor in was greed in the human heart. 
that because you had technology that you could work more and make more profit. And we get sucked into this alternative story where it just becomes about accumulating more stuff. Right? Instead of being the people that God has created us to be, we buy stuff and that stuff wears out so we need more stuff and we work more so we can prove ourselves more and it becomes this never-ending cycle. Right? And, and if we're honest, we're all exhausted. That story will exhaust us. So what God has designed Genesis chapter 2 is to remind us of the overarching story so that we can live as image bearers. Now, Ultimately, we live in a fallen world. Sin has entered the world. Work is difficult. But this is the good news. We don't just live in part of the story or half of the story. God created us to be image bearers. And he also sent Jesus Christ to restore his image in us. Right? So the good news for us, for everyone that is giving most of their lives to producing some kinds of good or service, whether that be inside the home or outside the home, is that Jesus Christ came for his work to inform and redeem our work. Right? This is the good news that Jesus Christ hung on a cross, suspended between heaven and hell. He took on the wrath of God for all of our failures and all of our sins. He lived out a perfect life and his calling and vocation as the Son of God, and that's credited to us as righteousness. That's the hope for all of us, right? That Jesus' mercy covers all of our failures. So listen to this. This is how his work is meant to inform our work. If you are weary in your job this morning, he invites you to come to him and find rest. If you are guilty and you realize that you haven't been living for the glory of God, his mercy swallows up your failures. If you're discouraged, he's here this morning to give you perspective. If you feel like you are overlooked and no one in the universe notices what you're doing, you are doing your work for the audience of one, and he applauds you because of the work of his son. That's what's true for image bearers, that you can never be overlooked because God has noticed you in and through Jesus Christ. If you feel like you are being taken advantage of, Jesus can identify with you, right? He is a sympathetic and a merciful high priest. He's with us every step of the way, and he wants to empower us and give us perspective that will transform our everyday, ordinary lives. John Mark Comer, also in Garden City, says this. He says, So we're not just called to any kind of work. Some work doesn't do this at all. Some work is destructive to the earth, to the human brain, to the economy, to the family, to the developing world, right? That's consumerism. We could talk about that all day, about how our spending habits affect the rest of the world. That's a sermon in and of itself. But we are called to a very specific kind of work, to make a garden-like world where image bearers can flourish and thrive, where people can experience and enjoy God's generous love, a kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, where the glass wall between earth and heaven is so thin and clear and translucent that you don't even remember it's there. So, listen. Regardless of where you are in relation to your work life, Jesus' work can inform your work. Because he's raised from the dead, 
His Spirit can empower you to be an image bearer. That there's new mercies here this morning. So He wants us to be able to be caught up in this greater story. Where we live out our lives so that people experience the good of who God is. Right? That's the design of work. It's not just so that we can profit the most. Right? When we forget this, right, we put profits over people. Right? We don't care what happens to anybody except us. But what God wants to do is say that our jobs and our lives are meant to be redemptive. So, so just imagine with me for a few minutes if, if we actually took this seriously. Right? Because this is what the church needs more than anything. It's not even just to plant more services that function as churches. You know what I'm talking about? Another Sunday morning service. That's not what the South needs. That's not what the world needs. What actually the world needs is for the people of the church to see their lives as a full-time vocation under the gaze of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness in the workplace. That would actually change the world. Right, Because most of us are just clocking in and clocking out and hoping that we can make it through the day. But if we are infused with passion and we are infused with God's story and we experience His grace, we have a real opportunity to witness, to bear witness to Him in the world and see other people experience His grace. So, just ask yourself this question. What am I doing right now that would help other people directly or in? indirectly experience God's love, right? Why has God placed you in the place that he's placed you? How can you model his love? How can you model his generosity? Now listen, you will still struggle. You will still fail. But the miracle of the gospel is that God works not only in our successes when we do it well, but he also works through our failures where we can acknowledge that we're just human beings and that we need a Savior, right? All of those things help us to tell a better story to the world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk specifically about how to find your vocation and your calling and your voice. And we're going to spend a whole sermon helping you figure out why you are on the planet. But this is just an overview of why work actually matters to God. So, I want to move on to point number two. God commissions us to create and cultivate our world. God commissions us to create and to cultivate our world. So, we work because God works. We create because we're made in the image of God and God is a creator. God has given us this stewardship to make something of the world that we live in, to make something of the corner of earth that he has entrusted to us, to make something of the relational networks that he has given to us. That's why we're on the planet. So God commissions us, we see this in Genesis chapter 2, to create and to cultivate. Now, Andy Crouch, who is the editor of Christianity Today, labels the calling of God's people to be artists and gardeners. Listen to this quote. He says, According to Genesis, like our first parents, we are to be creators and cultivators. Or to put it more poetically, we are artists and gardeners. The posture of the artist 
and the gardeners have a lot in common. Both begin with contemplation, paying close attention to what is already there. The gardener looks carefully at the landscape, the existing plants, both flowers and weeds, the way the sun falls on the land. The artist regards her subject, her canvas, her paints with care to discern what she can make with them. And then after contemplation, the artist and the gardener both adopt a posture of purposeful work. That's the key phrase. Purposeful work. The work that you were created to do. They, they bring their creativity and effort to their calling. They are acting in the image of the one who spoke the world into being and stooped down to form creatures from the dust. They are creaturely creators tending and shaping the world that the original creator made. Right? So we are all called into God's story to be artists and gardeners. And you don't have to be particularly creative to experience this. I mean, you've all experienced astonishing service from someone, right? Who, who their performance in their job far transcended their position in life, right? That points you to the creator, right? All of us have had a fabulous meal by a chef, And that reminds us of the goodness and the generosity of God. You're going to experience that at the conclusion of this service, right? Those are signposts to tell us what God is like. Like God gives us all of these things so that we can know and experience him. It's the same thing. I mean, I remember the first time I held an iPhone in my hand. I mean, it was a worshipful experience. I mean, it is not only just technologically superior, but I mean, it is aesthetically pleasing and beautiful. And if, if we're all honest, the first time that we had it, we probably lost a couple of hours of our life right away, right? Just trying to figure it out. Like, that's what it's like when we reflect the Creator. It's for the good of people. It shows His beauty. So these are two major elements of work. We're going to be artists and gardeners. This means that our work is to display the beauty of God. So where in your world can you display the beauty of God? Work is about displaying the beauty of God. And then as a cultivator or a gardener, it's about incarnating the presence of God wherever you are. Listen, you may feel like you have the most dead-end job that no one cares about and you are just a cog in a machine. But listen, because the Spirit of God lives inside of you, you carry the presence of God with you into your workplace. That is by design. That is by the design of the creator of the universe that you would fill your workspace with the presence of God, both in your successes and in your failures. We're called to make something of our world. Whether you are an architect or an engineer or a doctor or a writer or a school teacher or a stay-at-home mom who's raising up the next generation, Our work is to infuse the world with the beauty and the majesty of God. But the beauty of God is displayed not primarily in what you do, but the goal of why you do what you do, right? So it's not the job that you actually perform that makes it beautiful. We looked at this the Sunday that I went to Nepal, John chapter 13. Jesus takes on the form of a servant. It is the lowest task in that world. He takes on that task. He washes the disciples' feet, and it is a beautiful display of what God is like. The value is not in what he does, 
but why he does it. He shows us what God is like. So your work, no matter how meaningless it may seem to you, is beautiful because you're made in the image of God when we set out to reflect the beauty and the majesty of God. John Mark Comer almost also says this. He says, our job is to make the invisible God visible, to mirror and mimic what he's like to the world. We can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what we do and how we do it. Right? So there is such potential in this room to see the kingdom of God grow and expand when we take little steps of faith and obedience and we ask God, would you help me show the world that you're beautiful today? Would you help me model and incarnate the presence of God, right? You can't help but bring the presence of God into your workplace. You are the aroma of grace to those that are being saved, right? That's who you are as the people of God. You always carry in your body the Spirit of God. Our world desperately needs more beauty. It desperately needs more awe, and it desperately needs more wonder, right? It needs to take its eyes off of the bottom line, and place its eyes back on the creator of the universe. But listen, there's beauty in both music and spreadsheets, right? You don't have to be what people traditionally call an artist to display the beauty of God. You have a story to tell with your life. You have a song to sing with your life. You have a story to tell. All of these things are because you're made in the image of God. God's not asking you to be someone else. He just wants you to be the person that he's created you to be for most of your life. Now, I think we could really grow in this. And and when I say us, I mean the, the United States of America. That there is just value in beauty itself. Right? There's value in pausing to see the beauty of creation. There's, there's beauty in marveling at songs. There's beauty in marveling at poems. Uh, I came across this story. It's from 1941. It's the, stol- it's the story of Oliver Messian. He wrote the, um, let me see the name of this here. He wrote A Quartet for the End of Time. And he did it as a prisoner of war in Germany in 1941. Messian was a French soldier who loved music. And he was studying the Gospels, who Jesus was and why he came into the world. And he was reading the end of the story, the book of Revelation. And he decided that he was going to write this great symphony. And so he found three other musicians that were in this prisoner of war camp. They found some old instruments, a cello that was missing, a string, a beat up flute, and they began to compose. They had a piano where the keys were stuck together, and they began to plan and play this beautiful symphony. And the first time that they played it in this prisoner of war camp, both soldiers and prisoners were in tears, right? They were taken to another place. They were reminded of another world. And that's something, right? You don't have to be creative to do this, but that's something of why we're on the planet, to show the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of who God is. So God's given each of us, you may not be a musician, but a song that we can sing 
And we all tend to underestimate the value of presence. But there is a world that is looking for hope. There is a world that is all too familiar with cynicism and with pain and with suffering. And we have an opportunity as the people of God to be the presence of Jesus in our workplaces. That's an amazing privilege, right? That infuses life with meaning, right? It helps us to begin to do more than just make it through the day. So what we want to pray for throughout this series is that we come alive to who God has created us to be, right? That we wrestle with the gifts and the skills and the talents. Now listen, some of us just need to be happy that we have jobs, right? I mean, right, this is the privilege of the first world that you can even think about what you're created to do. But since God has given us this privilege and this stewardship, let us wrestle with these things. Let us think about these things. Why are we here? Why has God created us to be that way? And listen, you're not going to figure this out on your own, right? The best, <laughs> the best way to figure out who God has created you to be is to be in a community of people, right? You can't figure out who you are on your own. Other people can say, this is how I see God at work in your life. This is how I experience God through you. So I would encourage us to do and have those conversations in gospel community. God is good to us, but I think he would also invite us just into the tension of wrestling with the sovereignty that, uh, of the boundary lines that he's given us, right? That he has actually, let's just assume for a moment, right? That God actually has a plan for our lives. And then he actually knows what he's doing. And then he's actually placed us where we are for a reason, right? I'm, saying, I'm not saying there's never a reason to change jobs. But sometimes, like, we're in those jobs so that they will change us, right? His boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. It's his presence that transforms jobs that are easy. It's his presence that transforms jobs that are difficult. But we want to wrestle very deeply with why we're on the planet and why God has placed us in the places that we're doing. So the good news is that God wants these things more for us than we do, right? He's not hiding. It's not some mystery jigsaw puzzle that we have to put together, but it's something that he reveals to us as we take steps of faith and obedience towards the one that created us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his work empowers and redeems our work. I pray that you would do real heart work inside of us, that you would help us to understand the reason that you've created us. I pray that we would come into contact with something of your transcendence and your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your finished work. In Jesus' name, amen.